you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I'm going to um, tell you a story. I kind of tremble telling you this story. This is pre-Sarah Wilson, y'all, okay? This is like 22 years ago, so don't hold this against me, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going to be like Mr. Cliff and be transparent <laughs> and probably tell you something that I shouldn't tell you. Um... One night in, in college, I had some guy friends, and they were like, hey, John, let's go out dancing tonight. <laughs> and many of you guys probably can agree, you know, you have friends like Aubrey Serpice that are like, hey, guys, no girls tonight. We're going to go dancing, right? Um, so we went to a country line dancing place. And you can imagine, I, you know, I am, my wife does not dance with me to this day. I have no rhythm. I can't dance anyway, especially in a country line synchronized, you know, with, with other people. And so me and my friend Kyle are standing uh, against the wall because we're wallflowers, right? It was like a middle school seventh grade dance. Uh, and this girl comes up and taps me on the shoulder. Okay, now how do I, how do I say this? You, you all know the story of Laban in the Bible, right? Laban in Genesis, and he had two daughters, right? One was Rachel. She was very, very pretty. One was, the Bible describes it this way. She was weak-eyed. <laughs> All right? This girl taps me on the, on the, on the, on the shoulder, and she's weak-eyed. <laughs> and she goes, hey, get your friend to dance with me. All right? True story. She didn't ask me to dance. She asked my friend to dance. And so she's on this side. He's on this side. And I, uh, so I turn to him, and I have this big grin on my face. He thinks that she asked me to dance, all right? I go, hey, she wants you to dance with her, all right? And, and this is honest, honest. He, he looks around me at her, and then he kind of goes back like this, and he goes, you know, shakes his head, no, and walks off, okay? And so I'm left there. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, she was offended. And so... I, I'm like, John, be kind. So I say, I'll dance with you. And no lie, no lie. On it. She says, no thanks. And I'm like, no, she didn't. And, I t- and that's funny. But you know what? We talked about this in Grace Group this week. How did, how, what are some ways that God has hamstrung you to keep you from just falling in, in, in traps and humbling you. You know, I, there was a point in my life where I, 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 told, I shared with our grace group that I thought I was God's gift to, to ladies, right? And then God take, took my hair away from me. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell jokes. I'll, I'm going to get serious here in just a minute. But I wore a hat for like two years, y'all, because that made me insecure, there, there just came, came a point where I just shaved my head because I was like, I'm sick of hiding it. Is, is that not what we do? We wear, we wear these name brand, name brand things to, to just cover up insecurities inside of us. There can be one comment from somebody that, you, that scars you for life, that has given you a complex. That you, you end up trusting what this, 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 this spouse that left you high and dry has said about you, and that has now 
affected your worth and your self-esteem and your self-image. Or, 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 that, or that maybe that father that you spent your entire life trying to, to please and get his approval and you just never could get it. And it's, and it's, it's affected your self-esteem and your self-image and your, and your worth. I, I, maybe you're, you're one of those people that pick up those, these magazines and you see the people in here, these supermodels that are fake. And you start comparing yourself to them. And you think, I'm just not skinny enough. I'm just not pretty enough. I'm just... I'll never be enough. We, we, we get our worth, y'all, from a social media post about how many people like our picture. And I've got, I've got three young girls who already have made some comments that just hurt my heart when they, what they're describing is this peer pressure of trying to fit in and get other people's approval. And me and Sarah Wilson are, are, are bound and determined to not let them be their worst critic. And we aren't going to be their worst critics either. It's our job, parents, to build them up, right? And to let them know where their identity actually comes from. Because we live in, in a culture, if, you, if you're going to get your identity and your self-image and your words from out there, we live in a culture who can't even identify themselves with the right pronouns, let alone gender. Why in the world are we listening to anything they have to say about who you are? And so this morning, I want to go to God's word and let God's word inform us about who you are. So God, show us. Who do you say that we are? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. For you were once... You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Grace Church, our identity in Christ, it gives us great privileges. Our identity in Christ, it gives us great privileges. Each time it says that you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people for God's own possession, that you is plural. So you remember when, when Dr. Allen would say, you, you, would, you would translate that y'all. Y'all are the chosen people of God. Y'all are a holy nation. That's how you would pronounce that. It's not, it, it is true for us individually as well, but Peter is speaking to the church and telling them who you are. When we went to uh, Brazil, Dr. Allen asked our, our team, one of the purposes of our trip was to encourage the, the believers that were there. And you can ask Aubrey, you can ask Mr. Perry. We, 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 this is what we, 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 we the, the message that we had for them was so important, we told them that we got on a, on a van and we drove nine hours to Fort Lauderdale, all right? Then we got on a plane, and we flew nine hours to southern Brazil. And then we got on another plane, because this message is important. 
We got on another plane. We, we flew three hours east. I don't even know where, where we went. We got on another plane, and we flew another hour to San Luis, and we got on a bus. Okay, we, we took the bus, and we got on a ferry boat. We took the ferry boat for a couple hours. Then we got back on the bus, and we went four more hours into the jungles of Brazil. And base camp was this, this little town called Kurupu. And each day we'd get up, and we'd go further. And we'd go until the bus, we, had, we were going on down roads that bus had no business going down. We had to get out several times and push the bus out because it was stuck. We, we went until the, until the road stopped because this message is important. We went until the, 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 road couldn't, the, the bus could not go down the road anymore, and we got out, and we got on the back of motorcycles. And, and some of us walked miles to get to this village to talk to five believers, and this is what we wanted to tell them. The same thing I want to tell you. It's the same thing that God is telling us this morning. We came this far to let you know that you are more loved than you could ever comprehend. Y'all are the chosen people of God. And I know that brings up a lot of questions in your mind, but can I read Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 to you? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. It says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you. Now, isn't that odd? Why has the Lord set his love on us and chose us? You know what God says? Because I love you. Does that make any sense to you? It's the same answer I'd give my girls, though, when they come to me and they say, Daddy, why do you love me? Is it because I'm smart? No. Is it because I'm pretty? No. Is it because I'm funny? No. Then why do you love me? Because you're my daughter. I love you. I don't have to have a reason why. I love you. And nothing you can do can change that because it's an unconditional type of love. And isn't that what the, what, what, what the people of God need most? Isn't that what, what this, this, this country needs most, these young people that are just lost? They need to know that there is nothing you can do for God to love you more. There is nothing you can do for God to love you less. He loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus Christ, and he loves you because he loves you. That's a great privilege to be loved by God. But that's not the only privilege I think that Peter points out. He says that you are also a royal priesthood. I think privilege number two, we can, we can, we can understand that we are accepted this morning. Royal, uh, Peter is combining two words here to kind of give you an idea of what he's talking about. And royal, you know what royalty is. It means like, like kingship. And then a, a priest you got, you got a king and a priest. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The offices of Jesus Christ? Peter is saying royal blood flows through your veins. There is no greater privilege, Grace Church, than to be adopted as a son and daughter and be brought into the family of God. The royal family. He's the king of kings, and now we are co-heirs with Christ. 
And we, in Revelation says, we will reign with him forever. Not only are we royalty, but we're priests. You understand in the Old Testament what the priests did? They went in, in, into the Holy of Holies where no one else could go. And they could walk into the very Holy of uh, Holies and be in the presence of God. And that's what every individual believer now is, has the privilege of having access to boldly come to the presence of God and find help in time of need. I think what, 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 what Peter is telling us here is that you are now a son or a daughter that has his approval. You don't have to earn it. It's nothing that you do. You've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That veil has been torn, and now you can come and enter into the very holy of holies and have an audience with the king of kings himself. You don't need a, a priest or a pope to help, do, help you do that. You don't have to pray for, to Mary or some, some dead saint. You can go directly to the throne room of heaven right now. That's what prayer is, y'all. That's a privilege. We are, are, are loved more than we can comprehend this morning. We are accepted. We don't need anyone else's approval. We have in Christ the approval of the one whose opinion is the only one that actually really matters. Privilege number three, we are being changed. We are a holy nation. A nation is, a, is a, a, a group of people that are bound together by, by similar characteristics. In this case, the church, the characteristic that is identifying the church is holiness. Now, there are some attributes of God that he saves for himself. He doesn't share them with their, their people. It's the incommunicable attributes of God. I only said that just because I know you missed Dr. Allen already. And I just wanted to throw out a word that, that no one knows what it means. But all it, all it is, 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 is it's the attributes of God that aren't passed on to his people. It's like the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God. He reserves those attributes for himself alone. But then there's some that he is passing on to his people. And you know what one of them are? His holiness. He says, be holy, for I am holy. Grace Church, are you being unspotted? Are you being unpolluted by the things of this world? I heard, I heard Brandon ask the question this morning. When, when, when lost people look at you, what do they think? What do they say? What is your reputation? Because holiness, is being, it means to be set apart, to be distinct. And a problem that we Christians have so much is to be in the world but be separate from the world. We're not supposed to just live in a cave and not be in the world. We're supposed to be in the world and be salt and light. And I think what God is, 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 is telling us with this this morning is you can take it to the bank. If that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, then what that means is he will conform you more and more into the image of his son. He will, you will be sanctified. You will be changed. You will be made holy. It says in his word, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. 
He will discipline those whom he loves. He will uh, bring trials into their life. He will bring mentors into their life. He will prune you. He will convict you of sin. He will use the word of God to change you more and more into the image of Christ because he desires us, Grace Church, to be his image bearers and to be known by our holiness. And I'm not talking about perfection because no one in here is, is perfect except for Jesus Christ. But I think we could all agree that we might not be who we should be. We might not be who we could be, but praise God, we are not who we used to be. And so can we all look back from the moment that we were converted, the, more, the, the moment we started to follow Jesus Christ till now, and can we look back and see there has been a change? Because if not, something's wrong. It's a promise. He wants his church to be known for their holiness. Last privilege before we keep going. Privilege number four is we are valuable. It says that you are a people for God's very own possession. A people for God's very own possession. Now how much do you think the church is worth? How, do you, how, how much do you think you're worth? I'm not talking about net worth, like how much money you got in the bank. How much is your soul worth? How much do you think the church is worth to God? You know what? Uh, since me and Sarah have gotten here, I've seen the housing market in our area. If you need a realtor, Miss Rebecca over here is, is a wonderful but Miss Rebecca, I, I see houses for sale, and I'm like, that house is not worth that, right? But then a week later, it, it, it sells, and it's full price or higher. And I'm like, it's not worth that. But you know, there's a, there's a principle in real estate. Something is worth what people will pay, is willing to be paying for it, right? You know how much the church is worth to God? Look at verse 18 with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed or bought with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let me rephrase that. How much is the blood of Jesus worth? God the Father gave his one and only son for you. If you think you're junk this morning... You're not. Jesus doesn't die for junk. God wants you to know that you are forever his, that now you belong to him. You've been purchased by Christ, and you are forever his people. According to Peter, you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. We need to remind ourselves, Grace Church, of, of 
who we are, who owns us, and what was paid for us. Because in Ephesians, chapter, I think it's chapter 2, Paul this time says that you are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. And that word is translated, we get the word for poem from that. Meaning that you are God's poetry and he is writing a beautiful story with your life. To display to others the praises of God. And that idea, that truth right there is just revolutionary to a culture who teaches our young people that they are a, a, a product of random, a cosmic accident, and they have no purpose. And you wonder why our society is just crumbling, because we don't know who we are and what God has created us to be. And so Peter goes, not only does uh, Peter answer the question of who do you say that I am, God, but he answers the question of why we are here. Look, at me with, uh, uh, look with me at verse 9. It says, so that, there's that purpose clause, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Our purpose in Christ, it gives us a great mission. Our purpose in Christ, it gives us a great mission. When we understand our identity in Christ, then our purpose in Christ becomes clear. God treasures us for a reason. We are to be proclaimers of his majesty. You see that? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. We are to be proclaimers of his majesty. He, he called you and I out of darkness and into his marvelous light for a reason. To give us a, a, a mission. And this is what he wants his people, his sons and daughters to do. To keep proclaiming his excellencies to, to our neighbors, to one another, to our coworkers, to those across the street, to those in the ends of the earth. To, to declare God's excellencies, it, it, it means to tell of his wonderful deeds. It means to, to tell others who he is, and what he has done. In other words, tell them the gospel. That's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we were running on a, on a path towards hell, God stopped us in our, in our tracks and he pursued us not to judge us, but to give us mercy. Look at verse 10. It says, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Not only are we proclaimers of his majesty, but Grace Church, we are partakers of his mercy. What is the one thing that God owes mankind? You ever think about that? What is the one thing that God owns, owes mankind? Can I tell you it's not mercy? That's the opposite of mercy. The only thing he owes mankind, Grace Church, is justice. Right? Think, look, at the, look at the fallen angels. One third of them rebelled. Cast that out of heaven. And he never sent them a savior. There was no opportunity for mercy. For these fallen angels. 
And I don't see anyone having any problem with that. Thinking God's not fair. Thinking God's not just. That God's not good. Because he didn't send a savior to fallen angels. Why? Because he's just giving them what they deserve. That's what justice really is. Justice is just what your sin deserves. It's just. It's the right thing. And that's why it's, it's not wrong on God's part to just give justice to the fallen angels. But there's something inside of us that demands mercy. Like he owes it to us. But Grace Church, that's the opposite of what mercy is. Mercy is undeserved. You can't earn it. Scripture, the clear testimony of it is that you and I are only worthy of one thing, and that is condemnation. But yet, God and his love has made you an object of his mercy. Peter is quoting in verse 10 here. It's actually coming from a story in the, New, in the Old Testament. Anybody ever read the book of Hosea? One of those minor prophets? It's like a scandalous book, y'all. This is another story that I don't know if I should tell y'all. Hosea is a prophet, and God tells him to go marry a prostitute. And her, she has an unfortunate name. Her name is Gomer. There's not very many people that name their daughters Gomer, right? Is there? That's, but he marries Gomer, and he loves, he loves her. But she doesn't really love him, and she's unfaithful to him. And uh, it gets to the point where um, there, 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 there's, she has children, and Hosea is not the father. The name of the first son is not my people. The name of the second son is No Mercy. How would you like to be called that, Caleb? Your name, No Mercy. Okay? And she ends up leaving Hosea because this is what sin does. Sin promises you something, and then it doesn't back its promises. And it leaves you broken. It leaves you in chains. It leaves your life destroyed. And she find, it takes you down a road that you didn't know you would go down. And she finds herself standing on a slave auction block, being sold to the highest bidder in chains. And Hosea buys her back. And he takes her chains off. He says, you're not going to be my slave. You're going to be my wife. And by the way, I'm, t- I'm changing the name of our children. Their names are going to now be my people. And this other son of mine is going to be mercy. And that was just an Old Testament picture of the relationship, really, of Jesus Christ and the bride of Christ, the church. Y'all, when we were unfaithful, he is faithful still. And he has purchased us. And frees us from our chains. And decided that he, Hosea had every right to just let her be 
bought by just the worst evil person out there. And none of us would have a problem with it. But he decided to show mercy and buy her and set her free and bring her home to be a part of his family. Y'all, mercy is marvelous. Whatever, what God does in the life of a true Christian is just marvelous. Isn't that amazing? We just sang that, that song, This is Amazing Grace. And so when is the last time you marveled at the good news of the gospel? Could it be that, that the church in America has just lost their awe, their wonder, their marvel about what, who God is and what he has done? Have you gotten over it? Have you gotten over when Jesus called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light? I want you to, to go back. Go back. Let your mind go back to that, that time when you did not know the Lord and you were in darkness and you were without hope and you didn't even know it because what, what happens when you're a fish in water, you don't know yet you're even wet. And when you're in darkness, you don't even know that there's no lights on in the room. This is just... All you see is sin, and it's just, that's all you know. What was it that caused you out of that place? What was it that brought you to the light? And I know, I know we're all going to say that the Sunday school answer was God, but, of course, but what did he use? His word. Look at verse 23 in chapter 1. Look at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is imperishable, but imperishable. That is, you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God, the gospel. When we, the people of God, proclaim the excellencies of God, and I'm not just talking about the pastor here on Sunday. I'm talking about you are the holy nation. We all are. We all are the people of God's own possession. And when we all proclaim the excellencies of him to people in our, in our family and our friends and our neighbors and the people across the street and people in, at the ends of the earth, when we proclaim the excellencies of him who, who, who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, have you ever shared the gospel with someone? And, and I've heard this a couple of times where people have, have said, it's like God just turned the lights on, Right? That's what he does. That's the, the scriptures, it brings illumination. It brings you a, a whole new way of thinking. A whole new desires change. The lights come on and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. Oh my goodness, there's a Savior. And you don't just walk to Christ, you run to Christ. Because you, you realize that you are completely helpless you realize that you're in, 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 in shackles, and so you might not be able to run. You might be limping and crawling because there's chains now. The chains of sin are around you, but you are trying to make a beeline to the cross because the lights have come on. And you realize that the, at the foot of the cross, God would be totally just to say, no mercy. But he puts his hand on you, and he says... You're mine. Come home. It's marvelous. 
It's a beautiful sight when people who are in darkness see the, the beauty of Jesus Christ for the very first time and they want to be reconciled to him. It's a, it's a beautiful sight when he takes our sins away. But not only that, he begins to unlock the shackles on us and he frees us from the power of sin. It's marvelous. It's marvelous when he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ and allows us to come before his throne any time, any day, any night. He loves to hear his people pray and have access to him. And he, he makes us into a new creation, adopts us into his family, makes us a co-heir with Christ. Everything God does in a true Christian is marvelous. I was a, a, a prideful, lustful money-hungry lover of the things of this world. And God showed up. He turned the lights on. And I thought I was a pretty good person that just occasionally did some things wrong. Like, I, like I know Jesus came, and came for that really bad person over there in the corner, but you know, I didn't really need much saving. I was doing pretty good is kind of how I thought because I was a Pharisee. It was easy to see the sin in other people and I couldn't see the sin in my own life. But you know what? It took me really messing up to where I was like, God, I, you would be totally just to, be, to have me separated from your presence forever and send me to hell. You'd be totally just. But he had mercy. Undeserved mercy, and I've never gotten over it. For a reason that I'll fully never understand, God, he set his affections on us, and he loves us because he loves us. And he sent his one and only son to live the life that we should have lived and die in our place. We were Barabbas. Remember the evil man that was in prison, that Pilate lets go? That cross was meant for him. And Jesus took our, he takes our place on the cross. The punishment we deserve, he absorbed it. And praise be to God, when they buried him in complete darkness, it was not able to hold him. Showing that he has the power over sin and death and able to make us all new in here. Amen. The gospel should leave us, what Mr. Cliff says, slack-jawed. It's marvelous, is it not? But here's the million-dollar question I have for you, Grace Church. If God saved every single person that you have shared the gospel with in the past year, how many new people would be in the kingdom of God today? If God saved every single person that you have shared the gospel with this past year, how many people would be in the kingdom of God today? And I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. I'm trying to remind us of who we are and what our purpose is. And so I don't want to have you leave here and be manipulated to go share the gospel when that's not your heart's desire, but I want to motivate you to tap in to who you are and why God has saved you. Because when we are faithful to proclaim the gospel, God will call people in darkness to the light. It's, it's a promise. 
We are promised success as motivation to go into the darkness. We are promised success. I had Miss Jenna read from Matthew chapter 16 this morning. The passage where Jesus promises that he will build his church, right? You know how that, that little section starts? He looks at his disciples, and it's kind of the, the sermon title. He flips the question to himself. Who do people say that I am? And they start saying, you're, the, you're, you're, you're like Elijah. You're one of the prophets, right? And then he asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Because his people know who he is, that he is mighty to save. And this is what he says. He, he says, I will, you want to underline that word, will. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he goes on to say, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Those wills, anybody remember what those are called? Divine imperatives. It means you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. When, when the Lord says that he will do something, he'll do it. He will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We can be confident this morning that every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language will be around the throne in Revelation 5 and 7 that gives us that picture. We can be confident that, that as we proclaim the excellencies of him, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It's a promise. It's a promise that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Great Church, what are gates used for? Those of you that have cows, and what, what are gates used for? You know, I, I think of Mr. Cliff's Grace Group. He's got this nice, you know, this gate. And the other, two weeks ago, I started getting some, some texts. The gate wasn't open. And I, I went out there, and there was like seven cars, you know, like lined up that couldn't get in to Grace Group. They were hungry, and they knew Miss Myra's food was about to be ready. <laughs> Gates are used from, for keeping people inside from getting out and from people from the outside from getting in. The gates of hell will not prevail. You know why? Because he will give the keys to the, his people. The keys open gates. Mr. Cliff's house, it's a, it's a key code that you type in. still a key. Right? Keys unlock gates. Keys unlock shackles. Keys open up doors. And the key is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when we are faithful to proclaim it, he is faithful to open the door. And the door of heaven swings wide open. And light floods the room. And people in darkness, they, for the first time, see the reality of their sin, see the hopelessness of, of life apart from Christ, and they run, they run to the Savior who's full of light. He's the light of the world. It was said about D.L. Moody, the evangelist, 
that over the course of his life, he proclaimed the gospel to over 100 million people, y'all. 100 million. His prayer to the Lord was, Lord, use me to rescue a million people out of darkness. A million souls. That was his prayer. Grace Church, how many souls are you asking God for? When we are faithful to proclaim the gospel, he'll be faithful to bring people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. Who you are finds meaning when we realize whose we are. And this is what he said about us. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Grace Church, let's let our light shine. Those of us that have been running back to the darkness that the Lord has called us out from, let's come back to the light. And let's watch Jesus as we are proclaiming his gospel. Let's watch Jesus rescue sinners from darkness and transform into the kingdom of his son. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Father God, Lord, we come before you knowing that you hear us because you've, you've made us accepted in your sight. And so we praise you this morning. You are excellent. And we just thank you for mercy. God, we thank you for how you didn't just say you loved us and stay on your throne, but you demonstrated how you love us by coming to earth and leaving the glory of heaven. And God, we thank you for dying for us, Lord and making us a son, a daughter in your family, Father God. Lord, I, I, I want to use this time right now to just pray for anyone in this room who has been in darkness. God, I pray that you would open up their heart and shine the light of the glory of the Lord. Help them to see your beauty And God, I pray that you would call people to yourself. We thank you for your word and how it instructs us us on on, on things that we struggle with, God, on our insecurities. God, thank you for making us whole. I pray Grace Church would walk in the light and help us to shine our light and make much of you, God. We ask this in your holy name we pray. Amen. If the Lord is speaking you, speaking to you about